Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And Orange Theory Fitness, delivering fitness results for a healthier world. From Mansers on the Boulevard in Baton Rouge, we're out to lunch with editor of the Baton Rouge Business Report, Stephanie Regal. It's business Baton Rouge style. Hi, I'm Stephanie Regal. Welcome to Out to Lunch. The rising cost of health care today is one of the biggest challenges facing America. Between 1996 and 2015, for instance, health care spending in the U.S. rose over a trillion dollars, and there's no end to that trend in sight. Local businesses and patients certainly feel the pressure. So do insurers and providers who are trying to innovate and find ways to keep costs down while remaining competitive and effective. Edgardo has been CEO of Baton Rouge General since 2017, though he joined the system in 2008 and has overseen many of its major functions. In his three-decade career, he has also served in management roles for hospital systems in Florida, Texas, Illinois, and Louisiana. So Edgardo, it's, it's been a wonderful career and you've brought so much to the general, and we look forward to hearing some of your insights on how to solve the healthcare crisis in America today. Great to, great to be here. Thank <laughs> Thanks. You. Joining me in Edgardo is Carrie Drake, president of Employee Benefits at BXS Insurance, a brokerage firm with 31 offices in eight states that specializes in commercial insurance, employee benefits, surety, and private client services. At BXS, Kerry has established one of the fastest growing employee benefits operations in the state, helping employers control health care costs, increase productivity, and improve the well-being of their workforces. He's also pretty passionate on the topic of health care costs, particularly where pharmaceutical companies are concerned. We've had some interesting discussions about that and look forward to continuing them afternoon. So thanks for making time to be with us on Out to Lunch. Great to be here. Thank you. Well, Edgardo, Baton Rouge is a competitive market. We recently had on the show an executive with Oxner and talked about their expansion in this market. Our Lady of the Lake is building a new children's hospital. Women's is doing things. You all are expanding with a new emergency department and, and other clinics around the area. Where does Baton Rouge General fit into the big picture of the Baton Rouge healthcare market? What is your niche and your competitive edge? Well, I think uh, we primarily concentrated on patient care, focusing on patient care. There's a relationship there between a physician and a patient that is being attacked from all sorts of different directions, uh, from insurance companies, from Medicare, uh, uh, even from within the same systems in terms of employment of physicians and so forth. And I see my role as CEO and our role at the hospital to uh, to really protect that relationship between the patient and the uh, uh, you know, and the physician, despite everything that is happening uh, happening around us. So I, I would say that that's our competitive niche. That's our competitive advantage. We work with the, with the independent medical staff better than anybody else, I think. And if and when they uh, desire to be employed, we offer them opportunities for employment, uh, employment too. But uh, again, going back to the, the why we're here is for the patient. And and to offer the physician the environment where they can practice. And, and what's different about that environment? There's, there's a culture uh, uh, at the general that is very difficult unless you haven't been, you need to be there having worked there for some time to recognize that there is something special there. Mm -hmm. And it's everything from the kind of nursing culture that we have to the ability that we have to include the physicians in the decision-making process uh, as we move forward. 
Carrie, you are you are on the front lines dealing with these providers, these hospitals like Baton Rouge General, some of the other competition in town. What is your role at BXS Insurance, and and how do you see this market? I mean, is there enough business for for the number of hospitals that we have here? Well, I think competition is good among the healthcare providers, and you know, my role as a benefits consultant is helping employers change the way they administer and manage employee benefits and to create a better customer experience. And I mean, you look at what Edgardo does, I mean, you know, a hospital is trying to do the triple aim, you know, lower cost, improve quality, and have better access. Well, we're all about that too. And so that's why what's going to help change healthcare, look, we have a broken, wasteful healthcare system that costs too much and it's not the easiest to navigate. We have to change that. There's a better model. And what we've done, even with the Baton Rouge General, is work with you know, our partners. It's gonna be an employer-provider partnership that actually ends up driving down healthcare costs. But we have to get on the same page about cost, quality, value. And that's where the Baton Rouge General has done a great job at that. And that's why we have those type of partnerships with nurse navigation with some of our employers, chronic care disease management, creating a pathway to the quality cost hospital that they are right now. I think you've said something that is critical, uh, and, and I see it from, from our perspective, is that we all want higher quality, lower costs. I think that, that you know, the issue is that who is going to drive that, that, you know, that change? And I think employers sit at the, at, I think, at the center of, of what the future innovation is going to look like. It's not going to be Medicare. It's not going to be, uh, the, you know, the insurance companies. Uh, uh, I don't think it's going to be necessarily the brokers. But if you have the demand from the employer, uh, you know, the tools are out there to figure out which hospitals and which physicians are the higher quality, lower costs. Because there's variation in healthcare, right? And, and there's competition. And so, and so can employers, with the help of brokers and, and other third-party administrators, identify who, who, who the high quality, who the low-cost providers are, both on the physician side and on the hospital side? Then you can begin to uh, reshape the networks to encourage patients and encourage employers and encourage employees to go to those uh, to those uh, providers. Sure, and, and that's a, that brings up a great point, and that both of y'all can answer, hopefully. What, I mean, what kind of metrics are out there today? Because I know those type of measurements, you know, standards have been very controversial. You know, some doctors especially have pushed back against that. Some hospitals have. If they don't rank as highly or they say, well, we take care of more sick patients, that's why our costs are higher and why our mortality rate is higher, you know, because we get the, the, the worst, worst off patients. What, how do we measure this? And how can these companies that you reference and individuals, me, how can I look on a database and know that I want to go to Dr. A and not Dr. B? Great question. I, I would say, <laughs> I know you want to start. I, I would say that 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 uh, insurance companies and, and Medicare, the uh, third-party administrators, they have the data. The data is out there, especially on the cost side of the equation, and more and more now on the quality side of the of, of, of the equation. But first off, I, I want to emphasize that it's not necessarily there's not a direct uh, logical correlation between high cost, high quality, or high cost, low quality, or, or, or low cost, high quality. These things are very, very fluid. But there are combinations of providers out there that have both. Um, and, and, so, and, and so because the third-party administrators have access to the data, they can work with benefits administrators to then decide how do we encourage a, a, an employee 
to pick the right uh, you know, combination of quality and cost. And you can do that through a variety of, uh, of different, uh, uh, different tools. Uh, you know, some of them might be uh, you know, lowering deductibles and coinsurance, for incentives. instance, incentives, so that you access those types of providers. Of course, from the insurance perspective, they also want to be very careful because uh, there may be providers that are necessary and essential for a network and you don't want to alienate them either. So it, it, it's also a political game on the part of, a, of, oh, sure. of, of insurance companies to determine, you know, how far do we push? Yeah, and, you, and what are you hearing, Gary? I mean, yeah, I mean, you look at employers right now, they're struggling. They've gone through the ACA, the ACA, you know, you look at pharmacy costs, and we'll talk about that more later, but... Um, you know, with the ASA unlimited major medical maximums, all that has created this. And so employers are struggling. They're just saying, what do I do? I need help in cost of care, improving productivity of my employees, engagement of my employees in the healthcare system. And I don't know if my carrier is out there to help me. I don't know if my provider is, but you know what? I know I'm going to have to continue with a provider with healthcare. So why don't we get together and figure this out? Figuring out the lowest cost, better quality is a tough issue, and it's going to be, it's going to take a while to get there. But I mean, just recently, I mean, I've mentioned it to you. Just came out this Rand study, mm-hmm. and it's and it's Rand Corporation out of the Houston Business Group on Health. They had 29 large employers get involved in this, and it actually it took two years to get the data from the carriers to finally, and it compared hospital costs for Medicare costs compared to private pay. Okay. And so for the ones that participated, the large employers that participated, they didn't get the overall general, they got specific hospital. Banner General, the Lake, Walmans, everywhere in the cost of care. So we, for the first time, can truly look at the cost of care. But then you also have to judge, just like anybody might say, you said it also you might have more complex cases. So it's a lot more complicated, but at least we have some basis. That's a fascinating study. <clears throat> In fact, I studied the study before coming uh, here, the meeting today, for lunch, because it showed that even in Louisiana, there's, there's, a, there's a variation disparity. and disparity between uh, you know, cost Mm-hmm. Um, and, and quality. It showed something very interesting to me because we tend to complain and I hear the, the, the policy uh, folks saying, well, Louisiana is some of the worst and very expensive. And the reality is that Louisiana was smack in the middle. Mm-hmm. Smack was. in the middle uh, in terms of uh, the multiple of Medicare that insurance companies and, and self-insured uh, plants are paying. So right average. And it was some, also something very unique about Louisiana, which was that our disparity between inpatient and outpatient uh, physician-based uh, uh, reimbursement was very, very closely correlated to Medicare. So uh, as opposed to some other states, I have wide disparity where uh, physicians and actually earn much higher. And that would be good. We higher. would want it to be closer Well, I don't know Medicare. that it's good okay. or bad, but it's just it's an interesting, uh, uh, an interesting uh, uh, facet of the, of the study. But nevertheless, it, it, it just showed us, uh, showed me that there is an opportunity for employers to have that type of conversation with their brokers, which is, show me the detail of the data. You have access to the data. We you need have more. Claims data. Yes. See, I don't have claims data. I have my own claims data, right? We but do. You have brokers, everybody's claims data. And so data. you could, you could, you know, the brokers can tell. Oh, okay. You know, here's let me let me out of this wide network that I have because that's the other thing. Employees want choice. 
the days, and that's why I'm a big skeptic about the reform efforts right now with CMS and the rest of so They basically want to do everything that they did in the 90s. Like HMOs. You mean with HMOs and limit But they're choice. calling it something else. They don't call it HMOs now. They call it ACOs. and uh, <laughs> High Performance, high performance Network. Networks. It's all these acronyms. That don't, they all, I mean, all, these they all, they all want to move to, to capitation and push all the risk to the, to the, uh, to the providers. But they're not calling it HMO, and they're not restricting the ability of the system to tell the patient you're not going to go over there or you're not going to go over there because that didn't work. So I, 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 if it didn't work in the 90s, I don't think it's going to work now. Well, I mean, are the things that much worse? I mean, do you have companies now that are willing to try one of these narrow network plans where maybe their female employees aren't going to get to go have their baby at oh, I have a number hospital? Of plans. I have a number of plans, but I always make sure I have plan A, plan B, one with everybody, one without, and the cost could be 20% difference and let people choose. And so, but in the future you will have, I mean in California, I mean I'd say 80% of the people are on narrow network plans, hospital, physician. So it's We're going not there. back that way. Well, I mean, and again, when you have multiple, in, with an employer with multiple, you know, states, employees in multiple states, they're not doing a narrow network. And an employer might say, well, Baton Rouge is fine, but I don't have it in Texas or you know, somewhere else. And so that creates a problem. So they're not there yet on a narrow network or a high performance network, but it's getting better. I, I, think, I think I disagree just slightly with what we just said. And that's, you got, you know, it's just like politics. Healthcare is a local issue. California developed on this model from the 30s and 40s, a Kaiser Permanente model of uh, basically HMO capitation and the rest of it. Even Kaiser themselves have not been able, they have not been able to duplicate that model successfully elsewhere other than in California. No, well, it's because they, they, it, they were born that way. They, they, <laughs> it's California, that's how they do it over there, right? And, and they can't export, they have not been successful at exporting that model elsewhere. As a state, they just collectively have a different mentality when it comes well, to Well, it comes to choice. healthcare, they, they, okay just, they, they just develop, it just developed that way. That's all they know. That's all they know, right. I mean, I, 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 have some, I have some broker partners out there, and you'd figure California was a huge self-insured state. It's not. Hmm. It's mostly fully insured yeah. because that's how they grew up. Wow. Exactly. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Stephanie Regal. I'm talking with Edgardo Tenrero of Baton Rouge General and Carrie Drake of BSX Insurance. We'll be right back after this very short break. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Stephanie Regal. I'm talking to Edgardo Tenrero of Baton Rouge General and Carrie Drake of BSX Insurance. What really is at the root of these escalating health care costs? And why are things so much more expensive in this country than in other countries? Especially because well, our outcomes aren't that much better as we now see. I, I, I think the... Great question. I mean, it's... Uh, I mean, I'm, we I'm have not the a, rest of the day we have the rest of the day. <laughs> I, I think the reason is because market forces have not been allowed to work inside the health environment from the from the inception since the inception of Medicare and Medicaid and it's 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 a highly regulated industry uh, with more and more of a higher percentage of the business being controlled by Medicare and Medicare does not determine a price it's like the post office do you really they just say this is this is what we're gonna pay and is and that's what happens with Medicare there is no supply and demand there is no 
it's a bureaucrat in Washington, with all due respect to everybody in Washington, making the decision about what they're going to reimburse. And that's just the way it is. And then there's pressure on the part of uh, uh, the, the private insurance companies to kind of follow the lead of Medicare. So as more and more of our business moves to Medicare, which is a top-down, government-controlled uh, system, you know, we, we, the, the market forces are crowded out. And the end result is high cost and low quality. Why are we surprised? What do you think, Carrie? Do you agree with that, or is it the pharmaceutical companies are the root of all evil when it comes to health care costs? They're only part of it. I mean, they're only part of it. I think we have to do this together. I mean, you know, you look at pharmacy, it used to be 5% of costs, now it's close to 25%, and specialty drugs are going close to 50%, and we're less, talking less than 1% of the population results in 25% of our, I mean, 50% of our pharmacy costs. You know, hospitals, they're getting much better, this value-based. Even Obamacare started where you have to do value-based care. So they're moving more towards that. It's got to be a combination, but employers are reaching out. I need help. And like I said earlier, I don't know if it's my carrier, but i got to deal with the hospital because I'm half people. And if hospitals don't start being more innovative, creative, and working with employers and saying, yeah, I want to help you solve this problem, we'll create a pathway to our higher costs, I mean lower costs, higher value. You know, that's where they have to be involved, too. And that's where it will, will eventually make a difference. But it's not there yet. I mean, so I have to bring my employers. I have to bring get together with other brokers and do the same thing. I mean, because it's happening across uh, the United States. But it's going to be a joint effort. It's not easy. And getting a lot of disparate individuals together to mm -hmm. help solve this. And I didn't mean to, uh, to paint uh, such a bleak picture. I, I'm simply saying that innovation is not going to come out of Washington. It's going to come out yeah. of employers yeah. that are going to be experimenting with different delivery models, with different ways to compensate uh, hospitals and physicians, perhaps, even though there's a big resistance on the part of, especially on the part of physicians, uh, you know, to move away from fee-for-service and on the part of hospitals, too. I mean, the model works in every other uh, you know, industry. You don't go to a CPA and, and ask for a value-based contract. You do fee-for-service or you're yeah. attorney, right? I mean, and it works perfectly well there. Nobody's trying to revamp how, how uh, you know, the attorney market works. The only reason what we're talking about this in healthcare is because, again, a lot of the control comes from, uh, from the, uh, you know, from, from Washington. Employers are looking at all kind of different ways. Because they're, they're the ones that are ultimately paying the cost. They're paying the bills. Yeah. And so they are the ones that are going to be the change agents, you yes. think? A hundred percent. So we have people doing their own on-site clinics, you know. You know, so I want to be the employer of choice. Give us an example. I mean, you don't have to name the company. I mean, you, you might need a thousand employees to support an on-site clinic, but you've got to have them all in pretty close proximity. And so you bring a nurse practitioner or two in, and you have a couple people working with them, and they go to it for free. So... And what you do is access, which is great, no cost, which is great, try to get a primary care physician visit, and it takes 10 days, then they don't go, and then it becomes a train wreck. So mm -hmm. this will help people steer, and then we use these clinics to steer them to our higher quality, lower cost providers. And are you seeing that with Absolutely. some companies here? Yeah, these are fixed costs, but you got to have a larger employer. And so right now, we're working in our Essen Park for a near-site clinic, so we have which means it can't be an, one employer. It's got to be a 
multiple employer, and this is brand new. Oh, this and is so fascinating. So several local companies are getting together, big employers. Yeah, so our next meeting, and it happens to be with his organization, and they have a great team, they put us together. I have four employers, which amount to a couple thousand employees that could do it together right now. And so our first meeting, no, not our first. Our and they'll have like their own private clinic. For yes. For those four, and then like who would staff it? It would be through a partnership, for instance, with the general mm -hmm. and its providers. It, it could be. I think what we found in our, because uh, we have a health plan too, yeah. our own, for our own employees. We have about 8,000 members in our health plan. And when we started this journey about five years ago, we thought we gotta, we're gonna experiment, and we've always managed our, our health plan, but we never really had gotten to that level where we are really wanting to, uh, to dive into the detail to figure out, you know, who's costing how much and how do we encourage them to change behaviors and so forth. So we, you know, we started. We realized that just like anything else, it's 80-20 rule. 20% of our members were, you know, were pushing roughly 80% of our costs. So how do we identify these 20%? And more importantly, how do we? How do we estimate who's going to be on the 20% next year, and how do we intervene earlier in the process so that they don't become the 20% that is more expensive? So, uh, you know, we have a whole clinic, uh, you know, structure wherein we take these patients, and that's another tricky part. How do we convince these these members that they should come to it's this specialized easy. clinic? And so we had to change how our deductibles work, coinsurance. So, for instance, in this clinic, when you go, no copays, no coinsurance. And, and there, believe it or not, there is no restriction on the part of the physician in terms of what kind of meds they can order. So there's no formulary uh, because we trust the physician, right, uh, to manage the well, care of these patients. Because it's basically your own, right? I mean, well, it, but, this but is it, all in-house. But, 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 but we don't buy, uh, we, we buy uh, pharmacy uh, services from, uh, from these pharmacy, uh, uh, you know, uh, companies. So, so you get the PPM. So it could go out of, out of, out of you know, out of control, potentially. But anyway, it's worked really, really well for us. And we're, so, we're yeah, trying so to figure out. So it's been five years now, and what kind of and, outcomes are you seeing? And, well, we basically, we have, we have basically, for the last, I think, five years, and don't quote me on this, but I can give you, the, you know, the numbers, we've gotten our health care uh, spend per, um, per member flat. Hmm. Wow. Now, it's not a cut, but it's a flat. And it's that's 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 a big 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 uh, and, and why do we do? And are they health and they're healthier? Well, I mean, I mean and, 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 and then we that? we complement that with with uh, a lot of uh, uh, you know sort of prevention, nutrition, and uh, you know we've been able to cut uh, uh, waist circumference uh, of our <laughs> employees on average has actually come down over the last several years. Um, and so, yeah, it's a combination of prevention with, with interventions to make sure that their behavior of the member changes so that they could invest in their health and well, recognize it. sounds like it. the Kaiser Permanente thing, sort of. Well, but, but the difference is that <laughs> on it's On a very not, small scale. Well, it's on a small scale. It's our own premium. It's our own dollar that we spend. So uh, anything that we learn here, we want to export it to, yeah, to other employers. What Yardo said about engagement, I mean, cost is number one, and then getting employees engaged is in the... the second thing employers struggle with, you know, to own your own health care. And so what we're trying to do is make sure employers take advantage and say, oh, you have a worksite clinic. And so an employee goes there and says, hey, that was a great experience. No cost, quick access, didn't, my wife had to, didn't have to take work off, all that kind of stuff. Great experience. And there's not a lot of things that happen in healthcare that's a great customer no experience. The net promoter score is one of the lowest. So if we can raise that, then all of a sudden, six weeks later, they're a diabetic and someone picks up the phone and says, Hey, I need to get you engaged in this. They'll probably say, Okay. 
So anytime we can create a better customer experience with our healthcare customer, our employees, through telemedicine, which is a great thing too. So you, we try to get employers to make sure it doesn't cost anything to have a telemedicine visit. You know, these other things that where people get engaged. Anything that creates a better customer experience when they end up going somewhere or having some higher cost chronic disease and someone reaches out to help them, they're going to have a better chance of saying, yeah, I think I do need your help. Mm -hmm. And that's a big area that, that is improving as well. Why do you think that, that the drug costs keep going up? You mentioned a few minutes ago that they've gone from 5% to 25% of total health care costs. So, I mean, because now we're taking the insurance companies and the providers out of the pictures. They spend in... Are they just reaping huge profits? Are they ripping people off? Is it those bad old well, I think people there's, up in Ohio? Or? I think there's one, one element of it is simply innovation and, and targeted therapies that a few years ago would have been uh, uh, almost uh, you know, science fiction. So there, there's great advancement in terms of what pharmaceutical companies have been able to do. Yeah, I, I agree with the innovation creation of what they've done to you know, solve complex rare diseases and, and and do great things the, it becomes how do we pay for it mm -hmm. I mean so just last week they approved a drug for children under two for uh, muscular atrophy and wow. you know, it's two and a half million dollars how do you pay for this now two and a half million dollars for like one treatment one, one, one treatment one treatment and so these are the your gene therapies and so you know, you're looking. This is who? I mean, where do they come up with that cost structure? Is that how much it like it costs a scientist in the lab, to, well, right, to splice the gene or what? But it could make this person, I mean, to live. I mean, so that's what Edgardo was saying. How do we pay for it though? Then, and, and so you know, we lo we're looking at the PBM cost, and so you break down. You know, ninety percent is generic, and the rest is ten percent. And and the brand names. I mean, so you look at diabetes and so you look at just regular cost of care where people own it every month diabetes drugs have probably from five to ten years ago have tripled in more than tripled ten times in cost so insulin from a hundred dollars to eight hundred dollars now and then you get in type 2, two diabetes like trulicity you see it on TV now that's two to seven thousand a month so then you get into the other RA drugs, rheumatoid arthritis, so your Embrel, your Humira. I mean, these are always four out of the top 10 drugs. They're $8,000 a month apiece. And this is for the rest of your life. And then I'm not even talking about the gene therapy drugs. We have about 700 in the pipeline, biologics. Who's gonna pay for this? So, you know, I have three plans that have HAE patients on them, which is hereditary angioedema. I mean, last year one patient was 980000 You know, so we had to get another firm to look at this, and she wasn't taking her medication right, so it's gone down 300000 So employers are saying, Carrie, you got to help me do this. I mean, these people up in Washington or wherever they are, these pharmaceuticals, have thousands of people trying to figure out how much more money they're going to get out of our pocket. Help us do something different. You know, but all these plans are saying they're going to have to pay for this two and a half million dollar drug, and they should. How, how are we going to pay for that? Well, is that is a, is a question I wish we had the time to answer today. <laughs> and if we could, 
we would all be able to <laughs> retire rich, but um, it, it's, a, it's a fascinating discussion and issue. And I uh, thank you all for, for being here today. Edgardo Tenrero and Carrie Drake, you both have so many great ideas about how to make healthcare delivery better and more affordable. And it's certainly a challenge facing everybody, especially as America gets older and older. So thank you all for being here and taking time to join us on Out to Lunch. Thank you, sir. My guests today on Out to Lunch have been Edgardo Tenrero of Baton Rouge General Medical Center and Kerry Drake of BSX Insurance. You can find out more about Baton Rouge General and BSX Insurance by going to the links on our website, itsbatonrouge.la. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our associate producer is Peter Raschuti. And our Baton Rouge business consultants are Charlie D'Agostino, Dave Winwood, and Ann Edelman. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on our website, itsbatonrouge.la, and on our It's Baton Rouge Facebook page. These photos were taken by Carrie Hosford, and you can find more of Carrie's photos at carriehosford.com. You can hear this show and past episodes of Out to Lunch wherever you get podcasts and at itsbatonrouge.la. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsbatonrouge.la and WRKF 89.3 FM. I'm Stephanie Regal. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Mansur's for more business Baton Rouge style on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch Baton Rouge is recorded live over lunch at Mansur's on the Boulevard in Baton Rouge. Mansur's is open for lunch daily, 11 to 2, for dinner nightly, and for brunch on Saturdays and Sundays. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at mitchellforeman.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And Orange Theory Fitness, delivering fitness results for a healthier world. 